magazine or book. There's books for him and books for her and books for you and me. You'll find good books for everyone at your library. What's up, everyone? It's Lauren, and you're listening to Lauren's Library. Um, and I am here to ramble about book stuff. So grab a seat, grab some coffee, grab a blanket, or grab the steering wheel if you're driving because I'm not paying for your accidents. But get comfortable because we have a lot to talk about. And if you're new here, hey, hi, hello, how are you? Just wanted to give a special hello to you. Thanks for popping in. Now that you're here, you can't leave. Sorry. I mean, those are the rules. What do you want me to do? So here in episode 15, we'll be talking about Ghost Riders, Into the Drowning Deep by Mira or Myra Gant. I'm not really sure how she pronounces her name. And we'll have a short story written by me called The Painting Portal. So get ready, get ready. (laughs) And while you do that, we can take a quick second to hear a word from our sponsor. And we're back. That was cool, right? Sponsors and whatnot. We coming up in the world. We doing big things. If you have a company or a product you want me to talk about on an episode, just reach out to me via email, thebookiebayblog at gmail.com, and we can get something going. We can chit chat. So anyway, now that that's out of the way, let's talk about ghostwriters, okay? So in case you are not aware of what a ghostwriter actually is, it's when someone writes material for someone else who is the named author. So if Becky Sue wants to write a book, but she can't write worth nothing, She goes and hires Bobby Joe and Bobby Joe writes the book for her. But then Becky Sue puts her name on it and she's basically known as the author. That's how that goes. It's incredibly common with celebrities, especially those who release their memoirs that have technically been written by someone else. Um, I think it's pretty much all of them are doing it. I mean, I know Will Smith did it. Um, I don't know if Viola Davis had a ghostwriter for her memoir, but we just gonna say she did just for the, the sake that she's a celebrity. Um, who else did it? Prince Harry did it for Spare. I think Jeanette McCurdy wrote hers, actually, because she's a writer. So that's a little different. But basically, the celebrity memoirs that you see all over the place, more than likely they had a ghostwriter. It's like a potentially lucrative career, especially when ghostwriters land the top dollar clients like the celebrities. And every now and then you may get a person who will name their, their ghostwriter. Like I said, with Harry... Prince Harry, excuse me. Um, he actually named his ghostwriter and talked about the relationship he had with him. And I don't think it impacted his sales at all. So the issue recently that I don't really understand um, is the fact that 19-year-old Stranger Things star Millie Bobby Brown released the book and used the ghostwriter. But before I get into that, I just want to say, is she black? Like partially black or anything because her name is very black and it has like it confuses me every time I hear it I have to remind myself no this is that little girl from Stranger Things this is not a black woman because I mean Millie Bobby Brown maybe it's the Bobby Brown part that's throwing me off but Millie Bobby Brown come on come on like (laughs) like I can't be alone in this I don't know anyway um the issue is that she released the book recently and she used the ghostwriter 
And people seem to be up in arms about the fact that she didn't write it herself, even though she did the research or whatever. The book itself is called 19 Steps. And it's about a young woman in London during World War II. And the woman's life is forever altered after meeting an American man that was stationed near her home. The story allegedly has a lot of elements taken from people in Melly's real life, like her family history. And when she announced that she had a debut novel in the works, the ghostwriter that she used, uh, Kathleen McCurl, McGurl, I'm really bad with names, guys, I'm sorry. But she posted about it on her blog and talked about her participation in the project and went into detail about the process and what they had done so far to get this story on paper. I'm guessing there was no NDAs signed during, you know, the making of this book. There have been a number of angry tweeters or I guess Xers now. I don't no no no. Um, but they've been complaining about how ghostwriters deserve the credit for the books and they're sick of celebrities using their status and money to claim they wrote books that they didn't actually write. My counter to that is ghostwriters know exactly what they're getting into when they sign these deals for these books. It's not a surprise that someone else is listed as the author. That's literally the point. Like that's the entire point of it. That's the ghost in the ghostwriting. <laughs> they're not supposed to be known plus i think celebrities using ghostwriters to tell their story and write their biography makes sense i mean they're famous for other things like acting or singing or dancing squirting i don't know whatever they're not famous for writing and regardless of what people may believe regardless of what they tell you sitting down to write a compelling story is hard work even if it's just telling the story of your life like writing it so that other people want to read it harder than it looks. So if you have no idea what you're doing and your talent lies elsewhere, why would you not hire a professional in that area? Like it makes sense. Come on. The part that does make me squint a little bit, if I'm being honest, when it comes to the Millie book thing is the fact that it is a fiction novel. It's based on Millie's family members, but overall it's fictional. So basically it doesn't really involve Millie like at all. It's her name on the book. She's the one signing it. She is the one going on press runs and promoting the book as her work without mentioning the ghostwriter. She's the one profiting off the story as if it's her work. So in this instance, I think it does warrant a bit of a head tilt and a, hmm, you know, like this whole thing comes at a time when celebrities are releasing their memoirs left and right. Okay. Especially with the help of professional writers, like pretty sure Every really well-known actor has a memoir at this point. Like it's, it's kind of like the next move in the career. It's the money grab that they all want to go for. Like write a book, sell your story, tell us, you know, about yourself. Even celebrities that we don't particularly care for have memoirs out at this point. It's a thing, you know? And I think the bigger issue with Millie, now that I'm thinking about it, is not that she used the ghostwriter. Cause I don't really care about that. Like, People know that ghostwriters are a thing. We get that. I think it's the fact that the book is fiction. And I think that the expectation is that authors write the fiction. <laughs> like if your name is going to be on the book and like it's not a story about your life, like it's just a fictional story that you made up, you need to have actually written it. You know, like, I mean, bare minimum here. <laughs> Maybe people were expecting Millie to be a little bit more transparent and open about using a ghostwriter versus talking about it as if she's written it herself. And I think the only reason why people know is because the ghostwriter herself came out and said it, you know, cause 
Millie's like on the Today Show or the Tonight Show, whichever part of the day show she's on. <laughs> and she's talking about it as if, you know, she wrote it herself. I think that's the issue. But I mean, it's not unheard of because celebrities often put their faces on a product that they didn't really have anything to do with and using their star power to push that product forward without having actually been involved in the process. And according to the ghostwriter, Millie offered research and plot ideas. So she was involved, but was she involved enough for this type of product? I'm honestly not sure. Like I said, I think it's a little bit strange. It's a fiction book. And you use a ghostwriter and you're, you know, acting like you wrote it. I think that is a little weird. But I think it's more of a gray area. Like, who's to say what ghostwriters can and cannot write if they're comfortable with it? They're the ones signing the contract. They're the ones taking on the project. So if they have no problem with it, then I don't see why we do. You know? They're the ones doing it. Like, I feel like some of the readers are more upset than the actual writers here. Like, I've seen some pretty interesting tweets or exes about the whole subject, you know, where they're kind of making fun of the fact that she's like signing a book that she technically didn't write. And she's going on press runs for books that she didn't write. And people seem really upset about it. But I feel like if the ghostwriter herself is not upset about it and isn't demanding credit, then why are you demanding it for her? You know? But I don't know. I, I can't call it. What I can tell you, though, is about this book that I read recently called Into the Drowning Deep by Miragant or Myragant. It's M-I-R-A. I don't know. Myra, Mira, whatever. But take a second to gather yourself, relax your shoulders, breathe in deep, and clear your mind follicles because this one is a doozy, okay? So go ahead. I'll wait. Okay. So I have an entire backstory on how I found this book. So as you know, Halle Bailey was recently in a remake of The Little Mermaid. Adorable movie. If you haven't seen it, then you I mean you definitely should, even if you've seen the original, because I mean, the music is like 50 times better because that girl can sing. Anyway, um, that had me looking into mermaid myths. Okay. And I'm not 100% sure on where I stand and whether or not I believe mermaids are real. I mean, but I do kind of believe they're out there. It depends on the day, really. Like, ask me on Tuesday, and I may tell you, like, I'm not sure or no. But then ask me again on Friday, and my answer could be, like, absolutely, they do exist. They're out there. I believe it. Here's why. I really don't know. I'm waffling. But for the most part, though, I do believe that they're out there. Some type of humanoid fish hybrid thing that is hell-bent on killing us. They just proved the existence of aliens, didn't they? So why wouldn't there be a mermaid as well? I mean, it's plausible. So I was reading up on mermaids for a few days after that movie. It's not the first time because I go on random deep dives, pun intended, about the oceans and whatnot. Because it's simultaneously fascinating and terrifying at the same time. Then, you know, you remember the whole thing with the submersible... That whole story had been going on another deep dive about the deepest parts of the ocean, like the Mariana Trench and the Challenger Deep and all that. Fun fact, the Mariana Trench is so deep that if you were to take Mount Everest, which is the highest peak on the earth, if you were to take that and put it in the Mariana Trench, it would still be 7,000 feet below sea level. So let that sit on your cerebellum and rotate, okay? It's too deep for us to be able, like, even able to explore it. I think 
man has only been able to explore like 30% of the oceans, I think. I don't know if that's the correct number, but basically there's more ocean out there that exists than we're able to discover or be in, right? So that means there's all these other parts of the ocean and all these other creatures that we ain't seen before and haven't like encountered or whatever that could be out there that could be minding a business, okay? Or that could be out there while you're in the water minding your business. It could be down there looking at you and you just can't see it. And that is why the ocean is terrifying, but also fascinating because like, I mean, come on. So I wanted a book that told the story about mermaids, but not in the cutesy seashell bra, sparkly tail, combing my hair with a fork type of way. I wanted something that would be more realistic, like if mermaids were to actually exist. And for a second, I thought I was going to have to write my own. I still think I might. The ideas percolating in my brain follicles as we speak, we shall see what happens, what comes about, you know, we shall see. But then, oh, then I stumbled onto a book called Into the Drowning Deep by Mira Myra Gant. The review said it was scary. So I borrowed the audiobook from Libby because I've gotten in the habit of going to Libby first because I'm not about to spend my coins on a book that could turn out to be trash, right? So I'd rather, like, I, it might be dumb. I don't know. I'd rather read it on Libby or listen to it on Libby and then go buy a copy if I really like it, you know? That's how I feel. But anyway, I listened to it on Libby. And before I tell you what I thought of it, let me read you the synopsis, okay? Seven years ago, the Atargatis set off on a voyage to the Mariana Trench to film a mockumentary bringing to life ancient sea creatures of legend. It was lost at sea with all hands. Some have called it a hoax. Others have called it a maritime tragedy. Now, a new crew has been assembled, but this time they're not out to entertain. Some seek to validate their life's work. Some seek the greatest hunt of all, and some seek the truth. But for the ambitious young scientist, Victoria Stewart, this is a voyage to uncover the fate of the sister she lost. Whatever the truth may be, will only be found below the waves. But the secrets of the deep come with a price. Honey, uh, let me tell you, this book was so good. Oh my God. Oh my God. This book was so good. And I'm so mad that there isn't another one in the works that I know of. Like this book grabbed me by the head from the start and did not let go until the last word was uttered. And I kid you not. When it was over, like I went scrambling for the prequel. Because there's a prequel called Rolling Deep. I think, and that one was only like four hours long, but I listened to it as soon as I finished Into the Drowning Deep. I was like, oh no, <laughs> stop everything. Like, forget your responsibilities as, as an adult and listen to this book right now. So I did, and it wasn't enough. I need more. I need more of the story and I need it now, okay? So it told the story of mermaids, but it made them the terrifying humanoid creatures that they would most likely be if they were to be real. And I loved how it combined some of the common folklore and myths about mermaids with some new information. It was so good, like so, 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 so good. And there were moments where I was listening with my eyes bugged out and my butt cheeks clenched in pure terror. <laughs> this book was amazing. So I really loved the way the author used deaf characters and added in the use of sign language as a possible way to communicate with the mermaids. I thought that was like a really unique point. I don't know if they do that in other mermaid stories because this is technically my first one aside from The Little Mermaid. So <laughs> I really don't know. So it's new to me. 
if it's not new, then, you know, ignore me. But it was new to me and I really liked it. And I've always loved sign language. So, you know, I was super, super interested in that. And then the way the author explained every little detail and answered pretty much every question that popped up, it made it feel like it couldn't possibly like not be real. You know, like I'm listening to it like, oh, wow. So that's why mermaids do that. And I'm like totally convinced listening to the story that it's a real, like it's a real event. Like the Atargatis is a real ship. And like these little humanoid creatures are coming to destroy the people. Like I really thought it was real. Like I had to remind myself that this is just a fictional novel that you're listening to. This is not an actual thing. It was that good. Okay. And it's definitely going on my list of favorites. Like since I've been branching out this year, like that, that was my goal for this year to like branch out and read different genres. And as a result of that, I felt like I found some really, really good books that I wouldn't have ordinarily found. And this one is actually on that list. Absolutely on that list. If you have a second, definitely add this one to your TBR. Okay. Thank me later. And also send me some mermaid recommendations if you have them. Bonus points if it's a black story or a story about a person of color. So, you know, send them my way, especially with Halloween being next month. And if you're looking for something scary to read, add this one into the rolling deep. Nope, nope. I keep mixing the titles. The prequel is called Rolling Deep. The book itself is called Into the Drowning Deep. I keep mixing them up. And then I keep having to remind myself not to sing Adele <laughs> rolling in the deep. Like I just, oh God, so many, so many similar titles. <laughs> but yes, Into the Drowning Deep. Add this one if you want to be a little scared, a little spooky, spook, spooky spook. Okay. And I'm honestly, I'm thinking about reading only scary stories for the month of October. That's like a little gimmicky type of thing, but I'm not sure I'm willing to sacrifice sleep in the name of a gimmick and, you know, in the name of being terrified. We shall see how I feel. Ask me again on October 1st. <laughs> so yes, Into the Drowning Deep by Myra Gant. Check it out. And then when you read it or listen to it, come back and let me know what you think. Like I absolutely want to know. So next up, we have the short story section. And before I get into it, I do want to remind everyone that I still have the ARC signups going for my debut novel reach out to me on Instagram or TikTok or wherever, send a smoke signal and let me know if you're interested. Okay. So a little bit about my inspiration for this story. It started off with a person at work, full disclosure, full transparency moments, full honesty. There is like my supervisor at work. I've been having issues with very passive aggressive and very rude. And she likes to treat me like I'm invisible and talk over me. If I'm having a conversation with someone that she wants to talk to, like, there was one time I was speaking to someone in their office and she literally walked up behind me and started talking louder than me in order to like commandeer the conversation. Or she likes to speak about me as if I'm not sitting there listening. It's real irritating since I'm really just be trying to mind my business, get paid and go home. But instead of flipping her desk over a thump on her forehead like I really want to, I decided to take my frustrations and put them to good use. That's where this story was born. Let's get into it. Hey, Alana, what grade did you get on your assignment? My friend Angie leaned over to peer at my work. Her long blonde hair fell forward to cover her bony shoulders. Subconsciously, I tilted the paper away so she couldn't see it. We had been instructed to paint something that hurt us and then write a report to explain how it made us feel and why. I had done that. I'd sat up all night obsessively fussing over the perfect color shades and making sure my line work was immaculate, yet 
the thick red F on the corner of my paper stared back at me, taunting me. I swallowed back the tears that clogged my throat and forced a smile. Oh, it, it doesn't even matter. What, what did you get, Angie? I asked, fighting to keep my voice cheerful. A wide grin spread across her face as she grabbed her canvas and flashed it at me. It was a flower. Nothing special. Nothing intricate. It's just a simple pink flower on a blue background. I got an A! Angie giggled. I struggled to keep my face neutral. As much as I loved Angie, and as talented as she was, there was no way this flower deserved that grade. And there was no way that mine deserved the one I received. What about you, Brianna? I turned to the only other black student in the classroom with me, hoping against the odds that this was just a coincidence and not some type of injustice or discrimination. The defeated look in Brianna's deep brown eyes answered the question for me. Part of me wanted to cause a scene. My father had always been the swing first and ask questions later type. It had gotten him into more trouble than it was worth. Growing up, I had never understood why he was so quick to anger, but... In some situations, and in my two years in this primarily white college, it's all been laid out for me. The frustration and the offense that take over in situations where you know the treatment is unfair, but as soon as you speak up, you're seen as angry or aggressive. It's enough to make you want to be the aggressive and angry person that they label you to be. I mean, why not? As the professor gathered her belongings in preparation for the end of class, I wanted to march up to her desk and demand an explanation. She was going to completely discredit my experience as not good enough to deserve a solid grade. She could at least do it to my face. Professor Helen, can we talk for a second? I asked as the rest of the students filed out of the room once class ended. She turned, her icy blue eyes passing over me and my project with apparent disinterest. Sure, Ariana, what did you need? She asked cheerfully. My name is Alana, I corrected. Irritation began to bubble under my skin, but I pushed it down with a deep breath. I didn't want to give her the satisfaction that she was already upsetting me. I wouldn't let her win that way. With a dismissive flip of her hand, Professor Helen tilted her head and folded her arms. What did you need? Her voice was significantly less friendly this time. I was just wondering if you could give me some more feedback on this grade you gave me? I asked. My confidence rattled a little the longer she stared at me, her lips twisting into a frown. But I held my ground. I turned the canvas around to jog her memory. We were required to paint a moment in our lives that was important to us, that hurt us. I painted the moment when I was 10, and behind me stood a haggard old woman with a pair of scissors in her hand. Students stood next to her laughing and pointing in my direction. In my 10-year-old hands were clumps of curly black hair that had obviously been cut from my head, represented by the splotchy and patchy hair that was left on my scalp. Tears streamed down my face in the painting the same way they streamed down my face the day it happened. The day my older white teacher cut my hair because it was a distraction and kept the other students from learning. I'd been too terrified to speak up on my own behalf. Instead, I just cried while the teacher hacked away at my confidence. That was a turning point for me. I had gone home that night with my gym shirt tied over my patchy curls. My mother had taken the shirt off my head to reveal the teacher's hack job, and her usually calm eyes flashed with a violent fury I had never seen before. I'd heard her and my father arguing deep into the night about how to handle the situation. I had been humiliated and furious. I felt silenced and violated in ways that my young mind couldn't comprehend yet. I felt like I had accurately captured all those emotions in my painting. I had been so emotional once I finished it that I couldn't look at it for a few hours. 
Yet here I stood in this classroom, in front of this white woman, trying to prove that my experience was valid. You were instructed to paint a moment that meant something to you. She waved a hand at the painting. Not something fictional. I blanched. Fictional? My experience was not fictional. I struggled to keep my voice calm. The lights in the classroom began to flicker, but I ignored them. Professor Helen made a face. Alana, if you're not going to be honest, then... You can't tell me what my experiences were, I shouted. You weren't there. The flickering became more frantic, and a low rumble erupted from somewhere I couldn't pinpoint. It was as if the room had absorbed what I was feeling. It absorbed the unchecked fury and rage. There, there's no need to be so aggressive, she responded. So you're telling me my experience is less valid than a flower picture? I asked. What about Brianna's painting? I won't... I, w I won't discuss other students' grades with you. Professor Helen started inching away slowly towards the door, moving little by little as if she was scared I would pounce. I wanted to. Felt like she deserved it. My fingers wrapped firmly around the edges of my canvas, burned with anger. My experience matters, I whispered, flexing my fingers on the canvas. The tacky feeling of the paint soothed me a little, but not enough to no longer be angry. Professor Helen continued to look back towards the door, her eyes wild and frantic. Her nervousness pissed me off. She stared at me as if I was some rabid animal that could rip the flesh from her bones with my bare teeth. Why is it so common? Being blatantly wrong, but immediately jumping into that victim mode whenever confronted with their own bias. My experience matters, I said again, louder this time. I'm, I'm sure you think that's what happened, but... She began. I didn't wait for her to finish. I thrust the painting forward and closed the distance between us. My experience is real. It matters. I am real. I matter. See me. I screamed. Open your eyes and see me. The lights blew out entirely, and the rumbling grew so loud that I could barely hear my words. The painting in my sweaty hands began to shake violently the closer I got to her, but I kept coming. I pressed onward until she was nose to nose with the crying ten-year-old version of me. Her eyes were wide as saucers and her lips parted in a silent scream. But then she disappeared, swallowed up by my artwork, living in my experience. Now, maybe, she would finally see. Helen. The last thing I remembered before everything began to morph around me were the wild eyes of my student as she whined about a grade she didn't think she deserved. I told them to be truthful and honest. I should have known she'd try to make it about race. They always do. I blinked, unsure of where I was. I'm sure Alana attacked me. They can't help but be violent when they don't get their way. It's ridiculous. When my environment came back into focus, I felt confused. I was vaguely aware of this classroom. It seemed familiar, but I couldn't place it. I glanced out at my hands and froze. They were brown. What is happening? Alana, your hair is ridiculous. I told you not to wear all those baubles and beads because you were distracting my class and instead you come looking like this? I glanced up at the teacher, expecting to see her yelling at another student, but she was looking directly at me. How can this be? Did she call me Alana? No, I'm not Alana. I'm Helen. It's me, I said, sliding out of my chair to step towards her. She looked much younger, but still the same beautiful woman that I remembered. 
Her hair was pulled into a tight bun at the base of her neck. Her milky white skin was vibrant and her crystal blue eyes were full of life. I wanted to hug her, but her look of pure disgust stopped me in my tracks. Be quiet when I'm speaking, she snapped. Your mother shouldn't have never let you come out of the house with your hair looking so terrible. But I shouldn't be shocked. I know you have no home training. As the words left her mouth, I caught sight of myself in the reflection on the window. A much younger version of Alana's face stared back at me. Hair sticking out on my head in a big afro. It looked soft, thick, and healthy. I'd always wanted my hair to look like this instead of the thin, brittle mass that I had grown accustomed to. I lifted my fingers to touch it, following the movement of my hands in the window. I, I, I don't understand, I whispered. Was I a black girl? Was I Alana? Was I in Alana's painting? Was she some kind of witch with magical powers? How did I get here? And how do I leave? I whirled around to find the teacher coming towards me with scissors. Fear stuck to my throat, making it hard to swallow. I'd never seen such hatred in those eyes before. Hold still, she hissed, yanking me by the arm and pushing me back to my desk. My body, well, Alana's body, flopped down in the seat loudly. Other students watched as the teacher grabbed a handful of my hair and began cutting. This felt wrong, but I couldn't figure out why. The other children stared, some smirking at me and giggling with their friends sitting closest to them. It felt like a spectacle, like a caged animal displayed for others to gawk and point at. Tears burned at the back of my eyes. Mom, it's me. You're Helen. You're Helly Belly, I exclaimed. I knew the nickname she'd always use for me would snap her back to attention. It would make her realize what she was doing. It had to. But she kept going, hacking and cutting away at the hair like it was the only thing she'd wanted to do that day. Clumps of the curly dark hair tumbled down my shoulders and fell around me on the desk and the floor. Tears blurred my vision. This was beyond humiliating. I don't understand why my mother couldn't just put the hair into a ponytail. Why did she have to cut it? I'd never known her to be this cruel to her students. Or me. She was always so gentle and so soft-spoken with me and my friends. Who was this monster? When Alana had turned in the painting, I was furious that she would depict my mother in such a horrible light. I doubt she knew her fifth grade teacher was my mom, but it was still an awful way to portray someone especially someone I had always known to be so kind and loving. I had been offended because her image of my mother, her teacher, had clashed so violently with my image of her. But sitting in this classroom, watching this beautiful hair fall away and be discarded, Alana's image was much more similar to the real thing than mine. Shame covered me like a blanket. I had been so determined to write Alana off as exaggerating, but here in this moment, reliving this trauma, I realized that I had been wrong. I was wrong for trying to dictate her experience just because it didn't match my own. Just because it didn't agree with my version of reality. I wanted to reach in and hug this 10-year-old version of her. So I did. I wrapped my arms around Alana's little body and tried to shield her from the heartbreak of this moment as we lived it together. Me for the first time and her for the second. Or maybe it had been more than that. For a young girl, a moment like this can haunt them forever. I understood her anger. I'm sorry, I whispered, hoping she would hear me. Hoping she would know that I understood now. That I knew I was wrong. The lights began to flicker, and as if on cue, I heard a low rumble from somewhere. The edges of my vision grew fuzzy. 
and a heavy sleepiness overtook me. I didn't fight it. I just let it win. When I opened my eyes again, I was back in my classroom with Alana standing over me with a worried expression. I stared back at her with new eyes. She was so strong and so resilient. She'd overcome that moment it seemed stronger for it. Who knows what else she had dealt with in her life to bring her to this moment. She was so beautiful and unique. Much better than me. I looked at my mousy brown hair, remembering how soft and thick hers had been. It wasn't fair. They hide their hair behind weaves and braids and all that extra stuff and in styles that I would love to try but would be reprimanded for if I did. Why do they get everything? Did you see? Alana asked quietly. Part of me wanted to deny it and pretend like I had no idea what she was talking about. I did. I whispered back. I had felt guilty that my mother had been so cruel to her and had been responsible for such a traumatic moment in her life. Had I known before my mother died, I might have been able to talk to her about it. I might have been able to see her side of things. I still refused to believe she was as cruel as that picture depicted her. She couldn't be. And, Alana pressed. Her expression was intense. Her hair was pulled to the top of her head in what they refer to as a pineapple. I looked up at her, studying the canvas she still held tightly in her grip. She had done an excellent job representing the emotions from the moment. I knew that now. But as I looked at her, I couldn't bring myself to admit it. So instead, I shrugged. I'm sorry, Alana. Great is final. And that's all we have time for today. <laughs> what do you think, guys? Let me know. You can head over to my blog at www.thebookiebabe.com and poke around a little bit. You know, read some stuff, read some stuff. Make sure you rate and review this podcast on whatever platform you're using. You can follow, like, leave a message at Lauren's Library Podcast on Instagram. And P.S. Are you trying to leave polls and voting at the end of each episode? Just so I can get an idea of what you guys like, don't like, and what you want more of. So, you know, be a good sport. Be a good student. <laughs> and participate. Okay, thanks. Also, tell a friend to tell a friend about Lauren's Library, okay? Trying to get to the point where I can put a little extra coin in my pocket, you know, because being an adult is expensive. Y'all know this because y'all out here doing it too. So help a girl out, you know, share, share, share. Threaten to withhold Christmas or birthday presents until they subscribe. No, I'm kidding. But am I? Okay, yes, I'm kidding. <laughs> I won't be responsible for you severing relationships. You can also find me posting detailed reviews on the bookie babe underscore on Instagram and TikTok. But bear with me. I've been real slack on posting lately, but I'm still here. I'm still out here. I'm still absorbing content. I'm still reading books. I'm still lurking in your comments, liking stuff, and then, you know, going on about my business. I'm still here. I just haven't been posting like I'm supposed to, but bear with me. I'm there. Okay. But anyway, I said all that to say, if you want to say hello, there are multiple ways to contact me. Take your pick. But one way or another, I will talk to you soon. Thank you so much for listening. Bye, guys. Bye.